You're supposed to give the person three, and after three, if it doesn't work out, you gotta cut it off. So that, to me, kind of sounds like where you're at with the Philadelphia 76ers right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that paid $54 to park at TD Garden. I'm David Arroyo, joined, as always, my pal Tom Shively. Tom, I just got to say this off top. It's been a very eventful week in the There's a Lot Going On world. We are planning what can only be described as the biggest and best podcasting event of every single year. The people know what it is. I don't even need to say what it is. But why I'm on the topic, I, I need to say this off top. Jessica Smetana has received an invite to the Holiday Spectacular, and we're going to need a response. We need to know if she is going to grace the presence of the greatest podcast in the world right now. I'm not saying their show's not great, too. I'm just saying right now we're the undisputed champ. And you and I saw each other. I see. I saw you every day since last Wednesday. We went to a Celtics game. We went out in West Hartford and then in Stamford, Connecticut. It, we are having a very adventurous time right now. But Tom, more importantly, you know where I got to start. I got to know how you doing. I mean, I can't get away from the $54 parking. But, but the real tragedy is that was the second most egregious thing to happen that night. Because the offense in the basketball game was worse. Like... Hear me out. They should have you pay to park afterwards, but depending on how good the game was. Like, if it was a good game, you got to pay more to park. So we should have gotten free parking for having to sit through an 88-87 to 87 final, which I went back through most of November, and I think that was the lowest total, tied for the lowest total, maybe the entire month. So we bad night for me, who may have had the over as well. Yeah, it, it was quite a night, like bad night for me because the Sixers lost and, you know, I was very loud about what team I was rooting for, as one does when they see their team on the road in a hostile environment. But brutal night. The Sixers now 0-3 in the last three games I've attended dating back to game seven last you year. You got to stop going. I don't believe in jinxes or I would stop going, but uh, we're just going to keep going. If it keeps not working out, we're just, we're going to deal with it. You know, we, I got a date with the Philadelphia 76ers on I think it is the 15th against the Miami Heat another really good team that might not go well and then I have another date December 23rd at home against the Atlanta Hawks a team they just took down so I'm not saying that you know trending in the right direction for my games but it's not trending in the wrong direction they just took them down because you weren't there you know what they say about dates you're talking about dates you're supposed to give the person three and after three if it doesn't work out you got to cut it off so that to me, kind of sounds like where you're at with the Philadelphia 76ers right now. Oh, I need you to elaborate on this. So is it, it, if we had many dates before then and it went well, and now we're 0 for our last three, it's, it's over? Uh, I don't care about the other dates. I just care about the last three. Okay, that's, that, this is what I... You, you have, they having success before doesn't help my argument, so I'm going to ignore that part. Okay, there it is. All right, we're going to ignore everything pre-vet. I think the Sixers, it was really funny because I used to go to a lot of the process process Sixers games, and because the team was so bad, you were able to get in pretty cheap against like pretty good teams. So like I saw the Lob City Clippers a couple times just because the, it was the Clippers who A, nobody cared about even when it was Lob City Clippers, and B, it's the process Sixers. You put that together, tickets are like $10. Boom. I love I love seeing bad sports teams in action. Like they, it, whenever you're promoting the opponent coming in, yeah, that's always a good sign. I mean, we went to Penn State, so we were frequent visitors to the Hush House in State College. 
Off to a rousing start, 12-point loss to Ohio State today, so the program is back in good hands. Well, Tom, you speak of a rousing start, and there's only one way to describe what happened today in New Jersey, and that would also be a rousing start to the Gardner Minshew era for the Philadelphia Eagles, which is where we start today. 33-18 win for the Birds, Gardner Minshew. I mean, it's the Jets' defense, so we really shouldn't take too much away from this. But 20 of 25, 242 yards through the air, two touchdowns, absolutely bald. Zach Wilson continues. He he showed improvement over what I've seen of him so far this season, but he still had a horrendous interception in this game where, like, it, it looked like he was throwing it right to the Eagles' defenders. I mean, the Birds came in, got the job done. They were in a playoff position before Washington won their game today, but Washington at 6-6 six and six bumped them out of the playoffs. Uh, Washington is 6, San Francisco is 7, the Birds are 8, but they have two of their next three games against Washington. Uh, Tom, thoughts on the Gardner Minshew era? My my biggest question is how much stock do you put into it when they play the Jets? I mean, uh, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. They're not world beaters by any means. He showed flashes in Jacksonville. I think he's not a bad quarterback by any means, but he, he I mean, he's not Jalen Hurts. I think I, I don't expect the era to last very long, but good win for them. I guess game they had to have. We were talking about it last week. If you lose this one, you might have to burn the city down in terms of, of, of bad stakes, but they got it done today, and yeah, they've got everybody left in the division, so they looked better than they have in some weeks with Hurts this year. I mean, Hurts had a really great performance against the Saints and then just kind of flat against the Giants, so you're getting that up and down, and maybe this is the first of the up and downs with Minshew, maybe it's not. Yeah, I, I think I would say that it this probably means nothing, like is the way you should be looking at it. But at the same time, this is the exact thing you want it if you are a radio host in the city of Philadelphia next week. Because you're going into a bye week, and now you're going to spend the next two weeks drumming up a quarterback controversy that does not exist. And so you've just gotten a boatload of content out of a horrible, horrible Jets team, and you just have to thank them. You have to thank Joe Douglas for not drafting well. You have to thank Zach Wilson for throwing bad interceptions. You have to thank the Jets defense for just existing. They're just terrible across the board. And it is going to give the Philadelphia radio market so much content for the next two weeks. It's kind of wild that they played the Giants last week and then we're back in the Meadowlands this week. So I think they're a little more familiar with the surroundings this time around. That was the key. You know, know what's even weirder? From last week until the end of the season, I think it may even go back one more week because it was the Saints. But since they played in Las Vegas, that was the last time this season the Eagles had to get on a plane to go to their game. Every other game for the rest of the season is either at home or they can access it via train from Philadelphia, which I think is kind of nuts. Yeah, last three road games, Giants, Jets, Washington. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot of train activity coming up for the Philadelphia Eagles. But, you know, I, I don't know, real quick before we move off them, playoffs or bust? Like, are, are, is this a team that you feel like should be in the playoffs based on the way things have shaken out? And if they don't make the playoffs, something went wrong or that's like an indictment on coach, quarterback, organization, etc.? I don't think it's playoffs or bust. I think realistically, even if the team does make the playoffs, it's probably a first-round exit anyway because of the top-heaviness nature of the the NFC. I mean, yeah, it'd be cool for them to make the playoff, but I wouldn't. Coach's first year, you know, you're kind of still getting Jalen Hurts into the system. I, I don't think it's it's anarchy if they don't make the playoffs this year. One more question. One of us on this podcast, if I remember correctly, I'm going to have to go back and check the tape, but I thought one of us 
picked three NFC East teams to make the playoffs and was told that that was a very bold take. That is very much on the table right now for ya boy. I picked one, which I thought was too many at the time, but yeah, go for it. I I saw the uh I saw the NFC East of it all going on in the NFC. Some of us had the foresight to see that the bottom of the conference would be just Patting as bad. yourself on the back with five weeks left in the regular season. Wow, we are thirsty this evening. Hey, listen, it, the only reason we're even in a position to do that is because of the next game we're going to talk about, and that is the Minnesota Vikings falling 29-27. to Tom, when you and I had broke down what games we thought the Lions had a chance to win, what was one of the games I said they would have an opportunity to win? At home against the Minnesota Vikings. And here they go. A win at home by the Minnesota Vikings. I won't lie to you. I picked up the Jets defense in fantasy football this week. Anticipating a dominant Vikings win. Because I thought this was a game they kind of had to have. And here they go. It was. (laughs) They both certainly had to have this. And leave it to the Vikings to just not capitalize on an inferior opponent. It's very Eagles of them to get a really bad opponent. You can put some separation between you and the other teams behind you, or in a week like this week, keep pace with everybody. And now they fall game back of everybody else. I mean, it just a, a brutal showing by the Vikings. Yeah, but I mean, Detroit, you know, is only four and a half games out of that seven seed now. So you never know if the Lions playoff run is going to start. But I mean, yeah, like, what a three-week stretch for Minnesota. They get that emotional win against Green Bay. It kind of felt like a monkey off the back moment a little bit. Little brother finally gets the win, and then they back it up with a brutal loss in San Francisco against a team that, frankly, they think they're better than and probably are when you consider talent on the field, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But to follow it up with a loss in Detroit as well, without Dalvin Cook, you're kind of thinking, oh, this is a great week to not have Dalvin Cook. You know, we can... Not if there's ever a good week to not have Delvin Cook, but but to kind of think, oh, it's Detroit, you know, we can kind of coast of a little bit. Of all the weeks. It, it's weird to me, too, that Detroit almost beat him in week three whenever they played earlier this year in Minnesota, too. I, I, if I'm remembering right, took a last-second field goal to win for Minnesota. So how do you let that team that took you to the brink hang around and really play well against this one? I don't know if it's a matchup issue. I don't know if it's execution. Not having Cook obviously hurts, but... Really poor effort from a team that a lot of people thought had playoff aspirations and kind of played themselves back into the conversation a little bit over the last two weeks, but that's out the window now. Well, a couple of things there. One, the I just chalked that up to it being the Vikings of it all. Like, this is just what they do. And I think I brought this up before, but like my roommate who's a Vikings fan, like when it's not a one score game, I think he's shocked. Because it feels like every Vikings game I've watched has been a one-score game. But in that same vein, I don't know if there's ever been a team as bad as the Detroit Lions who is as competitive as the Detroit Lions. Outside of them getting absolutely boat raced by the Bengals and the Eagles, they've played basically every team they've played this year close. One-score game against the Niners. One score game against the Ravens that they lost on a last second field goal that made Man Campbell cry. The Bears beat them by 10, but it's not like the Bears were like boat racing them. It was just, you know, they they lost to a team who's just straight up better than them. One score game to the Vikings. They win by one score against the Vikings. Now, like a competitive one in 10 team. I, I just can't believe they're here. Like it, 
I don't know. I, I didn't think they were going to win one. I thought they had opportunities to win one, but good for that. Maybe they can turn it into a bit of a winning streak. The Broncos aren't very good. Maybe they can catch them next Winnable, week. right? In Denver? Definitely winnable. Listen, De- Cardinals, Denver's though, good. in two weeks, good luck. What about the Falcons? The and at the oh, Falcons, they, can absolutely, it, they can absolutely beat Atlanta. Yeah. Team liable to drop a bad one? <laughs> Every game they play is a bad one. Every season they play is a bad one. Even when they go to the Super Bowl, it ends up tragic. All right, Tom, let's move on then to college football and the college football playoff. We know our top four teams. I think before we jump too far into the top four teams, just a quick recap of how championship weekend went. The Utah Utes have won their first Pac-12 championship. I mean, the second time this season, they hung 38 on Oregon and to say they boat raced them, I think, is an understatement. Like, Oregon looked outmatched from the blow of the whistle. Maybe it's because Mario Cristobal is thinking about that Miami weather, and he's already moved on to greener pastures. But Wild he, to me that, they, that they're that they hanging Manny Diaz out to dry like that. I don't know how you can bring him back if you don't land a Cristobal. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I really don't know. But, you know, Cristobal just gets clapped in his championship game and then goes right to Miami. Smart, smart man, if... If I've ever felt like if you're out, better you're out, weather, man. yeah, come on, smart. Then uh, in a game that lost me some drinks this weekend, Alabama, for lack of a better word, like I, again, I'm not going to use boat raced again, but this was a dominant Alabama performance. This is probably the best Alabama's looked all season. 41 to 24 in the SEC championship game, they hung 24 just in the second quarter, and that was really it. Like once they did that, it was it was over. You needed to score one more time the rest of the game and. The offense was humming. And I think the thing I said to you yesterday was this is probably the best quarterback Alabama's ever had. We said that about Tua. We, I don't know if anyone said it about Jalen Hurts, but like Bryce Young is QB1 whenever he decides to come out. It's going to be him versus CJ Stroud. And I think I'd take Bryce Young. Uh, just no, to finish. Gonna, oh, go ahead. He's going to win the Heisman this year. I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily been a Heisman season. I, I think it's more so. Dominus falling around him this year than his own performance. But, I mean, he's had a great season. He, you know, they were in a lot of tight games, but they easily could have lost a lot of them. Think about the Auburn game specifically. They needed a touchdown in that game, and, and they went down and got it, and they forced overtime. So there have been moments that, yeah, Alabama usually isn't in because they're so dominant, but Bryce Young has been able to take care of business this year. Even Texas A&M, you know, they went down and got the touchdown, and then the defense gave up the answer to A&M. So, I mean, Bryce Young can only go down there and score so often. Yeah, I mean, every time they've, like, looked bad this year, I thought it was because of bad play calling and bad play design. It was never because they didn't have the talent. Like, I someone broke it down on Twitter. I think it was Field Yates that Alabama had two first-round wide receivers who they replaced with two first-round wide receivers who were then replaced by two more future first-round wide receivers. Like, it's insane, the wide receiver factory that's been built there. I just, I wish Penn State could do one of those. And here they are, incapable. Uh, It all comes back to Penn State, doesn't it? It all well for us. It always comes back to Penn State. Speaking of, I gotta pat myself on the back for Alabama. I know you mentioned it, but uh, another stat for you: they've been the last three times they were underdogs under Saban. Saw this on Twitter. They have won each game by at least seventeen points. So, be careful, Vegas. Vegas beware. Uh, Tom, speaking of Vegas beware, don't know what the line was on this, but there's no way the point spread was close was uh, large enough for the blowout that pursued because Michigan. 
I mean, again, I've used the term boat raced, but if we're talking about getting boat raced, 42 to 3, I think is the definition of it by a Michigan offense that I think I've said a couple times. I'm not like, whoa, look how great that Michigan offense is. Like, they just dominated a bad Iowa team and punched their ticket to the college football playoff. We'll get to the rankings here in a second, but I, I don't know if you have anything to add. It, I don't have anything I mean, to add. Yeah, bad, bad Iowa team, but not a bad Iowa defense. And they kind of shredded Ohio State the same way they shredded Iowa. They just kind of ran it and and took it out of you. And and we'll get to the Georgia matchup in a second, but but that has been their recipe all year. And, and it just feels like they've finally been able to do it this year. And they're a little bit more dynamic than years past. So shout out to them. First unranked team in the preseason to ever make the playoffs. So I think... Nobody really had expectations going into this year, which was probably a good thing for Harbaugh in hindsight because when they play with expectations, it's usually disastrous. But I mean, they found a way, and and it's it's hard to argue that they if the committee had put them number one, I wouldn't have been shocked. No, no, just because of how dominant the performances have been these last couple weeks. The one thing I will say in relation to that is I think that. Like, you and I talked about how, you know, after Penn State lost to Iowa, how, you know, this is the most wide open the Big Ten's felt in a while. This is the year to get Ohio State. If you're going to try and make the playoff, this is the year to get it. Penn State came out there with a 7-5 and record. Stellar. Michigan State hung around till the end, but, you know, just not good enough to usurp those two, te- two other teams, Ohio State and Michigan. Even though they did beat Michigan, I will, you know, credit where credit is due. And Michigan just took advantage, you know, cards fell their way. And when it came down to it, them versus Ohio State, they capitalized on what was the best opportunity of a team not named Ohio State to make the playoff this year. So, I mean, huge credit to Jim Harbaugh, someone who, you know, again, I was a huge fan of when we were in college. I jumped off the ship because he just kept having bad Ohio State performance after bad Ohio State performance. One in five is still nothing to be like super proud of, but He's made more playoffs than every coach other than Ryan Day now in the Big Ten. So, I know we were tossing around earlier this weekend the, the James Franklin comparison. Like the pendulum swings well into Harbaugh's favor now. You know, I was talking about, oh, well, he's never made the Big Ten championship even. You know, they obviously never won the conference. So he's been more of a bust, quote unquote, than Franklin. But hard to argue with this season, kind of, kind of quieting everybody. Amazing what one win can do. But here they are. Literally, the difference between that Penn State season we're referencing and this Michigan season is the loss to Pitt. Penn State doesn't lose to Pitt. They make the college football playoff. And Michigan was just smart and didn't schedule somebody out of conference that was going to give them that kind of scare. Like, that's the way to do it. You went 11-1. and Your one loss was easily redeemable if you just won out. And that's exactly what they did. Oh, by the way, Ohio State, who scheduled Oregon, probably would have had a better look at the playoff if they went 11-1 and and beat up on Western Kentucky instead of lost to Oregon. Just Fools. Uh, the last two championship games of note from this weekend, uh, I'll, I'll rattle off some other scores before I get to those. Pitt took down Wake Forest 45-21. The most egregious thing that should like definitely be illegal was that Kenny Pickett fake slide. That should not be legal in any sense of the word. Uh, that's the last of the major championships, other than, of course, Baylor taking down Oklahoma State 21-16, to which eliminated what would have been a very interesting possibility of 
a one-loss conference champion versus the undefeated Cincinnati Bearcats who took down Houston 35-20 to in their conference championship. But Baylor beat Oklahoma State, completely eliminated that possibility and made it pretty clear right around like 6 p.m. yesterday that Cincinnati was going to be your fourth playoff team. So real quick before you do, I already know what you're going to do. Before you do it, the playoff teams as follows were Alabama 1, Michigan 2, Georgia 3, Cincinnati 4. Therefore, Alabama will play Cincinnati. Michigan will play Georgia. Uh, I don't know if you have the bowl games are playing. And I know Michigan-Georgia is the peak. That's the, the orange, orange bowl. bowl. That is the orange bowl. And Alabama-Cincinnati is the cotton bowl. So that is your playoff rankings 1 through 4. Tom, go ahead and take your victory lap. Um. Wow, way to lessen the blow right before I did it. Way to take the, the wind out of the sails. That's a terrible move by you. Um, Great move by me because I, I am saving the, myself the the headache. The bottom line is the bottom line is we sat here in August with our good friend Caleb Wolfinger and did our playoff preview. And my my take was, you know, I, I was encouraged by Cincinnati's top ten ranking in the AP poll. All right, finally getting the the respect they deserve. It was kind of the perfect recipe. You have to have had a good season the year prior, which they did, so they kind of got that recognition. Chips fell their way. They had Indiana and Notre Dame on the schedule. Indiana ended up being awful, so that one really doesn't count that much, but Notre Dame ended up by their favor being the team that they were really competing against down the stretch, which on the road win in South Bend, what better data point is there than that? Only one man was brave enough to pick the Cincinnati Bearcats to make the playoffs. I was told on this podcast that the committee would never do something as foolish as letting the Cincinnati Bearcats no, no, into the no, final four. No, 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 no. Let's let's hold I, on. I was that is what I was told by by who? I think it was Caleb. I don't. I don't want to throw him no, under no. the bus. But I think you're confusing my take, which is my take was if they had the choice of another team over Cincinnati, they would take another team. Essentially, just, essentially, the argument was: well, the committee's not going to do that. They're not going to select Cincinnati. Correct. That that and that, that was, was kind of cut and dry. No, because the again, my argument that was, was the take. My take was that if they had the choice of another team, they would put another team in. And you can't move. You can't move the goalpost when the game's over. Like I, that wasn't the, the take. You, I don't. That was the take. I'll go back and play the tape. That was the exact take I had. Was if they can, if they have a choice of another team over Cincinnati, they would have taken that team. We could have had this proven if Oklahoma State had just won, and then we, we would have. have seen for a fact that they would have done that. But Oklahoma so you State think loses. they would have chosen Oklahoma State? Yes, I do. Mm, I disagree, right, but you know, right, wrong, or otherwise. I guess I think we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. I, that, that's what I think would have happened if they had the choice to do it. But it came down to Cincinnati or Notre Dame, and Cincinnati beat Notre Dame. Boom, done, cut and dry. No need to even think about the rest of it. I mean, it's refreshing too to to you know the committee has kind of tongue in cheeked their way around group of five teams the entire time. It's like, oh, you know, get a couple good wins in the non conference and. You know, maybe we'll we'll save a seat at the kids' table for you. Maybe we'll get in. And Cincinnati goes, all right, we'll go thirteen and zero. Everyone else will crumble around us, um, and we're just going to take care of business and make the playoff. And and they went. I got to give Notre Dame credit for scheduling Cincinnati too, um, and, and playing that game. So without Notre Dame, without that schedule, they might be in the playoff instead. So talk about shooting yourself in the foot. But again, an argument for soft schedules. But that's neither here nor there. Congratulations to Cincinnati, but more importantly, congratulations to me for standing on the hill that I believed on and, and, and going with it. I did pick Ohio State to win the national championship on that same podcast, though. As so did I. It, 
Burn the tapes. The rose does. Co- the rose does come with its thorns. Do, do we burn speaking, the tapes? Speaking of roses, and- Ohio State, Utah. Well, well, real quick, do we burn the tapes but keep just the portion of the tape where you said Cincinnati was going to make the playoff? Uh, I might make that my Twitter. I might pin that tweet if I if I cut the tape. You know. I, I understand what you're saying. I was uh, I wasn't brave enough to pick them to win a game in the playoff though. But Mechie tore his ACL, so he's going to be out for for Alabama. So that could be an interesting one. Oh wait, let, let's play the hypothetical then that we were just talking about. That uh, this is obviously not how the season breaks down. But say Ohio State doesn't play Oregon, they play one of these cupcakes that you've outlined. They go eleven and one. They don't have a Big Ten championship because Michigan s- still beat them. That's still the win. Do they put Cincinnati in over Ohio State, or does Ohio State make the playoffs? Because I think Ohio State would have made the playoffs in this scenario. Granted, it didn't break out like this, so we can't. I can't now be like, I would have been right, because why? there's no data point to prove I would or wouldn't have been. But I think Ohio State not being a conference champion probably would have hurt them a little bit more. Um, I, 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 That's a tough one. I probably would have leaned Ohio State with you, though. I would have picked the Buckeyes. I, I think that which I, isn't I, fair, I, but that's I mean that's that's ignoring the ignoring what you and I would have done. I think that's what they they would have done. Cincinnati should have gotten it, but I think it would have been Ohio State. And, and you know what? I will talk about this when we get to our preview in a couple of weeks for this game. But does like is there a realistic scenario that Cincinnati can beat Alabama? Because Alabama's put up some bad performance. Like somebody on the ESPN broadcast today said, we've seen Alabama's A performance, but we've also seen their C and D performance. If you get a C or D performance out of Alabama, can Cincinnati beat them? You don't really get a C and D performance from Bama in the playoffs. The only one I could think of is when they got killed by Clemson, the one national championship that was in Santa Clara for some reason, which is a whole other story. But that was the Money. only time I really remember them getting thoroughly dominated in the playoff. And obviously, Cincinnati doesn't have the NFL caliber that that Clemson team did, but they have overlooked opponents at times, and and maybe they're going to overlook Cincinnati a little bit. I, I I find that hard to believe based off of how well they played against Georgia, but a lot of doubters so far. And and the most important thing is Cincinnati gets a chance. Like, look, the, the big argument was, oh, the Group of Five team that goes in there is going to get massacred by the top team, and so why even bother sending them for just basically sending them to the firing squad? Which, fine, have that take, but have that take after it actually happens. You can't have the take. If, if Cincinnati goes and loses 52-7, to seven, fine. You know, group of five doesn't belong. Have your take, whatever. But to say that and also see LSU beat Oklahoma 49-14, to 14, you know, Alabama's beating up on Oklahoma in the playoff. Michigan State got killed in the playoff. Ohio State lost to Clemson 31 to nothing the year they got in over Penn State. Like, it's not like the big teams don't get beaten by these more elite teams. It's just Cincinnati because they don't have that power five next to them only gets one shot at it, which which sucks, but that's the way it is. Well, if we're being honest, right, the biggest argument in favor, in my opinion, of the four-team playoff is how frequently the fourth team to make the playoff has just gotten boat raced by the other team. Like, just getting absolutely massacred, where it's like, are there really four good teams? Like, this year, I think there are unquestionably two great teams. Alabama's great, and Georgia's great. If Michigan got crushed by Georgia, I wouldn't be surprised. And if Cincinnati gets crushed by Alabama, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think, I I think there are those are the two great teams. Maybe you can put Michigan in that group too. I don't think I would do that because I think they have major flaws that Georgia is going to be able to exploit. But 
One more thing before we uh, get off this topic, because again, we're going to talk about these games more extensively in a college football preview podcast that's going to come up here in a couple weeks. But I am very happy we got Alabama or Georgia, Michigan, because this is the war on the fronts that I wanted to see. The front seven for Michigan versus the offensive line for Georgia. The offensive line for Michigan that might have like four draftable players on it versus the defensive front seven for Georgia that might have every single player drafted in the next two years. Like this is going to be war if I've ever seen war. This is going to be very Big Ten football, which is weird to say about an SEC team. Yeah, Georgia kind of steals the Big Ten's thunder this year. It's not cool. They did everything that the Big Ten does well and just did it better. So score one again for the SEC, I guess. But Michigan wins. It's hard to overlook what Michigan has done with their talent, especially with their edge rushers have been fantastic. Corum's been fantastic. This is kind of the... To, to me, it's hard to see them beat Georgia at Georgia's strengths, which are also theirs. But we'll, we'll get more into that in the preview. Yeah, well, we'll get into it here in a couple of weeks. But, Tom, that uh, brings us to our final segment this week. And that, of course, is the sound of the week, our new weekly segment as of three weeks ago that has honestly gone really well. I've really enjoyed this. You know, it's not often that we hear each other's sound. I think today you and I have heard both of each other's sounds, but that's just more of a product of the way Twitter works. But I don't think you remember my sound. So would you like me to play your sound first because it segues well from what we were just talking about? Or do we save the the gold mine for the end? I think I think we gotta we gotta close with, with the gold mine. Okay, so we'll play my sound first. Uh, The only context I have for this was I was scrolling through Twitter one day and somebody said, quote unquote, I'm sorry, what with this piece of video? The video is not important. All I can tell you about it is it is somebody giving some sort of sermon at a church. So I think that's all the context we need. I will now play this sound. Uh, I actually think if I hadn't included that context, it would have been even funnier. So I am going to play it for you now. That's why they had to take the uh, Old Town Road off of the uh, billboard charts on country music because it was too different. They couldn't, they couldn't find a category for it. And they said, it's not country enough, but it's not rap enough. And we don't know what it is. It's different. That's why they crucified Jesus. And so there it is. That is why they crucified Jesus. He's too different. Thoughts? It brings out the, uh, I forget what movie it is, but it's a Will Ferrell movie where he's like, it's provocative. It gets the people going. That's the first thing I thought of when hearing that. Like, what would you call it? What is, what is Old Town Road if you had to genre it? I think Old Town Road's a pop song. It's a country pop song. I think that's fair. Yeah, it's it's more well, I mean, pop than anything. Yeah, I think just the the nature of the song, like people think it's country, but it's not. So I think we're driving past the gold mine here of just him at the end saying, and that's why they crucified Jesus because to draw the the line from Lil Nas X, gay man who I've noticed is very hated by the. Uh, that community in specific, we're not going to get too into it, but that community in specific has really given him a lot of hate on Twitter. To then use that in a sermon, I think, is is bold, to say the least, and just odd, if we're being honest. Well, he himself is kind of leaning into the, the devil role, too, with like the, the blood in the shoes and the, the Satan lap dance. So it, it's it's an interesting comparison there with, with, with 
two people who maybe are not could not be more different in, in their own way you know it's this is a perfect opportunity for me to do two things one uh th- his song that you're referencing there call me by your name uh montero parentheses call me by your name uh was awarded song of the year by npr i feel like the music video had a lot to do with that and if you take the music video away it's like still a good song but it's not the same but this is perfect opportunity for me to say that if you're not already you should be following me on twitter because by the time you're hearing this right here i have already started to reveal david arroyo's own top 50 songs of 2021 i will then be doing my top 25 albums of 2021 i'm going to be putting people onto a lot of music they might not know of some songs they definitely know of but maybe forgot were true bangers and that's going to be coming out starting monday the day this episode comes out december 6th on my instagram so if you're not following me go into the show notes and follow me on instagram i got a beef with the list though i i'm not a you fan if you, you can't you can't hold on hold on you can't oh go ahead go ahead i was gonna say you can't voice concerns about any songs before it's been revealed it's not a specific song but you have a rule am i allowed to, uh, can i say the rule yeah yeah the rule is long-standing so yes two songs from the same artist cannot be on the list what if Correct. what if an artist has two top 50 songs that just that just doesn't happen david royo doesn't it, allow that gotta pick one Fair enough, but you know, I think top fifty you know, is top we gotta, fifty. We gotta be inclusive of multiple artists. And my my take has been if you have multiple songs that are that good, you better have a great album so that way you make that list. Because then I can spotlight that second song on the albums list. Come on, I I've That's always such thinking, a cop out answer. It's true. That's what I do though. If you have, I, I, if you have, I, 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 that's fine. It's true, but it's a cop out answer. I want you to know that. If you're putting out that many great songs, I believe you should be able to put out a great album that I can then spotlight. If you can't, that's on you. Fair enough. I want to be I want to spread the love to as many artists as possible. And if I go out here and just make the entire list, say for example, I made like all 7 songs from the Silk Sonic album, put them all in the top 50. That only leaves 43 more songs. I'm cheaping myself. I'm I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting the listeners' enjoyment because they're not finding a lot of new things because I just decided I love this album. Let me put nine songs from this album on it. Fair enough. Your your method. Go with it. Come on. I, we all got our ways of going about doing things, and that includes uh, this man in our next sound. Uh, Tom, I'll be honest. In the history of doing so- Sound of the Week, which has, of course, only been three weeks, I don't think there's been a better personification of the term sound of the week. This was everywhere. This was my favorite thing I heard this week, and I knew you were going to do it. I almost didn't bring a sound so we could only do this sound. But uh, what what do the people need to know? I don't want to give away too much, but g- give general backstory before we play it. Um, so Notre Dame part brian kelly leaves Notre Dame to go to LSU. The head coach uh, takes that job. Obviously, Coach O very Cajun, uh, his predecessor, deciding not to coach the bowl game. So Kelly, kind of Baltimore Colts, Notre Dame, and just, you know, leaves in the middle of the night, calls a 7 a.m. meeting, which which is bizarre. If I'm a player, I'm not going to that. Basically, it was only like 7 four minutes meeting long. Just to tell them he was leaving. That, that's too short to say goodbye. Like, And he sends him in a group text, weird vibes going in. But anyway, the sound is from his... I believe it's an LSU basketball game. He's being introduced uh, as the coaches are kind of. It's not a formal press conference or anything, but it's like, hey, you know, here's the mic. Say a few words. We're excited about the football season, yada, yada, whatever. Brian Kelly takes that a step further. Let's take a listen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank 
this is a great way to get started. And I haven't even won all my games yet. It's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family, and we are so excited to be in the great state of Louisiana, but more importantly, to be with you great fans and to be part of what is going to be an incredible ride here at Louisiana State University. I mean, there's really not a lot to unpack. It's, it's a pretty typical speech um you know he's talking about team's gonna be good this year we're gonna win all our games as you want your head coach to say but brian kelly has Football a southern accent in this for some reason a family is the one that gets me those brian kelly grew up in massachusetts went to a prep school in massachusetts coached at notre dame as far as i know no southern ties so the question is kind of when does pandering go too far because i think this is egregious this is a red card pandering which which is hard to get to be fair but like like what are we doing it feels disrespectful almost to the lsu fan base that like hey i'm just gonna pretend to be one of you and like we know you're not and brian kelly you know has his haters for for just reasons that we don't have to get into but it feels really phony, and, and I want a guy that's genuine if I'm an LSU fan, and I, and I don't get that at all from Brian Kelly. I thought the hire was strange. I thought the move in general kind of from every party was strange. Culture fit. I feel like Brian Kelly and LSU just does – you need a Coach O type guy at LSU, I think. You know, Les Miles had some of that. Coach O had some of that. Brian Kelly feels kind of too white-collar to succeed at LSU, but, you know, maybe he'll prove me wrong. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that just because, I, what is it, the last three coaches at LSU have all won national championships. I, I just, I think it's one of those jobs where if you get the right guy, the right recruiter, he's going to be able to build a program, but I don't want to have that conversation at all because it's not important. This sound is one of the most insane things I've ever heard from the bad Southern accent to just the way he leans all the way in. Like, doesn't even try and like, he's like unashamed at his fake at like i need to know the thought process behind this like did did before he go out there like someone go yo odds you go out there and do a southern accent and then he lost odds like why is he doing this what is the reason for doing this just to give you the family lineage you reference there he was born and raised in a city just outside of boston massachusetts his father was a boston politician he went to high school in the boston area and did not move i think believe he also went to college in the boston area but don't quote me on that one and the first time you left the Boston area was to start his coaching career. So, and mind you, he's never coached. Uh, where's Grand Valley State? I need to know. Where is? Uh, I think Midwest somewhere. I'm trying to find out where it is because it is in Allendale, Michigan. He went to school, by the way. Uh, he was an Assumption Greyhound in Division Two in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, Worcester, Massachusetts. He has literally never coached or lived anywhere south of, like, Ohio. So, where this came from, I don't know, but it's glorious and I'm happy this exists. I don't know what else there is to add. It's going to be interesting. The line about, I haven't even won all my games yet, is going to age so terribly when you look at Alabama on the schedule next year, but... I hope it works out. I think college football is better when LSU is good. I think they have kind of a unique brand that nobody else does in football, and... 
hopefully they continue to be good because I mean the SEC is certainly better when, when Death Valley is bumping and 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 so is college football. But last Brian Kelly, did you see the story with uh, Matt Lafleur and Robert Sala that was floating around? I did not. Um, basically, they were all assistants under Kelly at Central Michigan, and they thought that they were being invited to his like holiday party. And it turns out that they were just there to shovel the driveway and park cars for the guests. And so they are not fans of Brian Kelly. All right, Brian Kelly, uh, interesting guy. Who There was an LSU football player this weekend, too, who was like really tearing into this hire, like just did not like this hire at all. I, part of that to me is just Coach O was so loved. But like, let's be honest about what it is in football at this point. If you don't have a great quarterback, you can't win. So he needs to get a good quarterback and get a good quarterback quickly because if they don't, they're not competing with what Alabama's doing and they're not going to be able to compete with what like Georgia's doing. I, I don't know. This is an interesting hire. I think he has a chance to work because it seems like every hire at LSU figures it out and at least wins a national championship, which is the only thing left on his resume that he really doesn't have. But man, am I rooting against it. I do not want to see Brian Kelly succeed. And I am, maybe that's just me being a hater, but I am not rooting for him. I mean, the guy can definitely recruit. You got to give him that when you think about the, the academic hurdles that Notre Dame has too, and, and kind of contrasting that with LSU. You know, you think about like the David Shaws of the world. It, it's hard to get top quality guys to go to, to those type of academic prowess schools. And you would think that that has to favor him going to LSU and kind of maybe, you know, being able to cast his net a little bit wider without some of those academic restrictions. But again, you're competing in the SEC. It's going to be a war every weekend, much harder schedule. So we'll see. We shall see indeed as the SEC, of course, in the next few years will become uh, much more vaunted than even it is right now when it is already fairly vaunted uh, to play in the SEC. I don't know. Well, they're, adding, they're me- adding bad Texas and scrambling Oklahoma who the curtain has kind of been pulled back on over the last week with Lincoln Riley left you know we really hate to see that shout out to that hire I love the Lincoln Riley to USC hire but you know he didn't he didn't show up and start doing whatever a Southern California accent is so I guess more credit to him for being genuine and just stealing all his five-star recruits from Oklahoma over to USC uh Tom that brings us to the end of another edition of there's a lot going on do you have any final thoughts before we go here today I mean, that's the best recruiting pitch for Lincoln Riley is we're going to do exactly what we did at Oklahoma. We're going to do it in sunny Southern California instead. So the choice is yours. <laughs> what a bold, bold strategy by Brian. Still can't believe that video even exists. Uh, my final thought is this, once again, is a plea. Jessica Smetana, please join us on the There's a Lot Going On Holiday Spectacular. Details are in your Instagram DM if you would like to know more details. That's Tom Shively. I'm Derek Arroyo. Catch you back here next week for another edition. There's a lot going on.